TLDR, if you're short in time and still want to get a sense of the amazing life-transforming work that Simon Boyle is doing through his Beyond Food Foundation and Brigade Bar and Kitchen, then here are seven minutes of sound bites. As usual, if you do have time, you're on a run, a cycle and a drive, do listen to the full version. Simon's story is full of purpose, tenacity and persistence as he's transforming the lives of so many people and renating the fabric of their lives. Now, over to Simon. I love food and I love connecting people with food, using food as a catalyst. I always had an amazing family. Brothers were really awesome at school and really creative and, you know, my parents were really brilliant. And I just was always felt like I was on the back foot and slightly misunderstood. Didn't really do my homework. Would rather run home and peel potatoes and make shepherd's pie than... than per- the perfect son. The perfect son. <laughs> in, well, it's it's a masquerade, so... I'm sure as parents, they were like, oh, you know, he just won't do what he needs to do, but not realizing that I was doing exactly what I needed to do. Yeah, I'm not the best person to talk about education because I really believe it's it's broken. Like, we do not understand that we, we're dealing with individuals and individuals learn in different ways and have different different skill sets, which usually you you don't realize until they're way above 18 but it is for someone like me anyway it was really difficult but there must be some ways of being able to pull out people's you know passions earlier so that you can focus on the the things that they do very well rather than what we tend to do is focus on the things that we don't do well and it's crushing for people i've just turned 50 even now pretty much on a daily basis i will draw on that as a power to to help people that have lost their way and that they might have lost their way 20 years ago. And it might be through some form of tra- trauma or an ex- a negative experience has happened to them. But, you know, invariably, a lot of the people I meet are people that were felt let down by society. And that often it was at school. And even now, the young people that I work with, you know, we work with a lot of pupil referral units. And you can see that they're very grateful to get to those units because actually they they teach on an individual basis, whereas in the mainstream school, you, if you don't fit in, then you'll, you know, you'll, you stick out. And then so I was the only one to be chosen. Wow. And they, and they put me at the Savoy, which I'd, I'd had a passion for for a few years. I'd, I'd, I'd learned about the Savoy when I was 13. I'd read a Sunday, a Sunday mail sort of pull out about the Savoy Hotel and I was like, that's where I want to work. Didn't tell anyone. So again, quite serendipitous to to kind of be, be placed there i was there for four years and really grew up very quickly because back in when was it 88 there was 100 chefs and and i was the youngest and in those days it was weakest out first i mean that was the that was the structure of the place that was when the tsunami happened so 2004 and so i decided to take a step away from that so i called up the chairman in the uk actually because i'd been teaching him how to cook and said look i want to go and do something i don't want to just you know send a check over to whoever to you know to contribute that way i want to do something physically it was and i'd traveled loads of all the areas that had been hit so he he gave me his blessing paper actually paid for my flight actually i went to sri lanka went to colombo ended up down in a place called perelier which is where the there was the largest natural train rail disaster it was hit by the the tsunami so i i arrived two days afterwards the Italian army had buried two and a half thousand people in the dunes just on the, the outside of 
the jungle there and, and about another two and a half thousand people had died in the surrounding area but a lot of people had gone into the jungle and were petrified a very poor area a very unsupported area so i arrived in the airport with a lot of unilever products <laughs> um, and um and i met a bunch of people and we hired a, a bus van and and we put chucked all our stuff in it and we i met a guy a photographer from the metro newspaper and he was um he said Look, you've got to go to this thing there's no one helping they get the italians have moved on and so we arrived and it was utter chaos very sad and that's where i learned about displacement Going on Dragon's Den was, is a bit like going on live public TV with four or five million people watching with your pants down. Really, I think a lot of people on there are not financially stable and they go on there as a bit of a way out. And that, that's what it was for me. As much as it was about, I've got a great idea. But you must get vetted before you go on. I got tons of vetting, but because of that, I ignored my business because I was so keen on getting on there that I wasn't actually looking after the day-to-day -day stuff. And I was also very focused on helping people. So this is what I was saying about experience and, you know, having business experience, writing good business plans I'm a massive advocate for. But at the time, I wasn't like that. I was just this gun-ho kind of entrepreneurial kind of guy that wanted to make a difference to people. So I went on there, had a really good idea. I had practiced it, so I knew it. I knew my sort of knew my numbers. I took a guy who had murdered his brother, and I taught him how to bake bread, and he was now making a living after being in prison for 25 years. And and he needed to make a living, because you can't just walk out of prison and the world looks after you. It doesn't work that way. I made Deborah Meaden cry, which is still one of my greatest highlights of my time, because she was so captivated by what we were trying to do. The problem was it was 2008. 2008, the Dragon's Den still is now, actually, is about profit-making enterprise rather than socially minded they couldn't understand the difference sorry that they, they understood that you know their worlds needed to be separate charity work and they do lots of it amazing work and their business where i believe that the two things are interlinked and i think it's okay to make a profit i want to make a profit because i can help people if i make a profit we opened in 2011 september we're still going strong now we've gone through a pandemic we're going through the world's crisis what we're going through we've now we've supported over 7000 people we've employed over 200 people ourselves vulnerable people ourselves full time through apprenticeship schemes and we're going we're going through an evolution of change at the moment the the prototype is the partnership you know that I have with PwC and the foundation that I created because neither of us would have done it on our own or could have done it on our own it's just really important point and we always thought we always thought part of what Brigade was about was that people would look in and go and do their own versions. So Brigade is the restaurant, the restaurant yeah, and yeah. Beyond Food is, is the, the charity. charity. Right, okay. And the idea was we always thought, well, we'd do this thing together, which was a social enterprise and help people, which we do and continue to do, but other people would emulate and do their own version. But that is not really happening, not as much as we would hope, you know. So that's just one point to sort of make. Okay, that's all for now, folks. Now, here's my ask of you. Please follow this podcast on Apple or Spotify or whatever player you use. Also, please subscribe to our new Random Collisions newsletter. We really are working to build a global community of action takers, action engines of people that really care about the problems that need solving. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time.